Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. And I will go ahead and say it if someone hasn't said it to you already. Merry Christmas. In this time of year, the entire world, most of it anyway, seems to think about the birth of Jesus in one form or another. And so we're going to do that here this morning. Even though, in almost all likelihood, Jesus was not born in December or born on December 25th. And even though there, the early Christians, the early church, didn't particularly make a, a big celebration out of the birth of Jesus, our culture does. And with people around us thinking about the birth of Jesus, there's a phrase that uh, was present back in that time, and that was seize the day. If people are thinking about Jesus, <clears throat> then we ought to be talking about Jesus. And in particular, they're thinking about the birth of Jesus. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, some of the members here from Lindsley Avenue went and recreated a nativity scene where we had wild llamas and other animals that were floating around, simply to illustrate and point out the birth of Jesus, because people are thinking about it. And so I think it's entirely proper, given that our world and our culture are focusing on the birth of Jesus, that we talk about it, even if it's this time, again, with knowing that almost certainly the things I mentioned before were true. So in this picture that we've got here on the opening slide, the title is Giving Gifts, and that's the uh, title of and the focus of the lesson this morning. You see a couple of things. You see a picture here of uh, Mary and the baby Jesus, and you see the wise men who are gathered <clears throat> to bring gifts to the baby Jesus. And if you look at the very top of that picture that's on the left, you see a star that is somehow shining directly onto the baby Jesus. Uh, in the, the stable in the area where he was born. And the picture on the right indicates the wise men traveling almost certainly on camels. If you were going to go any distance at all, it would have been on a camel. The Bible doesn't say they were on camels, but certainly this is what we're talking about. So I want us to pick up with Matthew chapter 2, and let's look through the narrative, the story, what the Bible tells us about the wise men as they came bringing gifts to Jesus. So let's focus on that here this morning. Now as uh, Thurl read earlier, Matthew chapter 2, 1 and 2, we read, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We don't know who these wise men were. We don't know exactly where they came from. The Bible does not even record names of these wise men, although tradition has filled that in. And it also talks about his star when it rose. Uh, people are still trying to figure out what this was. What was this star? We'll talk about that here in a little bit. I figure uh, that it's pretty safe to say no one really knows what this star was. But the wise men saw the star and had followed it over from where they came from in the east, searching for the king of the Jews. So Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea because the Caesar, the head of the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus, had required a census to be made of each person's ancestral town, wanted to know how many people were in the empire. 
And so instead of taking the census for where you live now, the census was made about where your family came from. And so Joseph marries betrothed to be husband. Joseph and Mary, while she was expecting, headed down from Nazareth up in the north of the land of Israel down to Bethlehem, completely on the other side of Jerusalem. And that's why Jesus is going to be in Bethlehem when the time comes for Mary to give birth. So when we see this, right, and it says, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose. What was this star? I suspect it was not a natural object that we would or could see today. Nor was it a conjunction of planets or a comet. You know, sometimes I've seen this in the last few years. There was a time, I think as I recall, it was Jupiter and Saturn, two of the planets were going to be fairly close to each other. And it was going to happen in December. And so the news media talked about it being the Christmas star. And this hasn't happened since who knows when in the past. But some have said maybe it was simply a giant comet. Sometimes comets appear in the sky. If you've never seen a comet, the last ones I remember were in the 1990s. Maybe it won't show up soon, and if it does, make sure you go out and look at it. Amazing sight in the sky. But I really don't think it was probably either one of those. Why not? Why do I suspect it was not two planets that were close together? And why do I suspect it was not some natural object like a comet or a, a supernova when a star blows up or any of that kind of thing? <laughs> look what it says. Now, I'm skipping ahead to verses 9 and 10, but it says, Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose up before them, uh, it rose up before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. And here's a picture that you will see. This is from some Christmas TV show. It says that the star, whatever it was, rested over the place where Jesus was. Now, a star in the sky is not going to remain still and hover over Lindsley Avenue, right? It would not get, it would move. It would move over time. I mean, the sun moves through the sky. Stars would move over the sky. Natural objects are going to float with the heavens. We're not talking about a natural object. Whatever this was, it's not a conjunction of planets because those would move as the earth turned and the sky moved. Wouldn't be a comet. I have no idea what this was. But we are told that it appeared that to the wise men it, it announced, it signified the birth of the king of the Jews and they followed it from where they were toward Jerusalem and in a few verses it led them from Jerusalem down to Bethlehem because it was hovering somehow over where the child was. So whatever the newspapers or the web pages or emails or Facebook, you know, obviously the source of all true information, uh, whatever those things may tell you about the star of, of Christmas or the star of Bethlehem, take it all with, with several grains of salt because almost certainly we don't have any clue what it was. But I'm so glad there was a star because it leads the wise men from where they were to come to Jesus. Something important enough to lead the wise men to Jesus indicates there's always going to be something important in Jesus that ought to lead people to him. So keep, uh, keep reading with me. Back a few verses, back to verse 3. 
when Herod the king heard this, when he heard that the star had appeared indicating the birth of the king of the Jews, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the savior of the Jews, the future king that was to come, where this individual was to be born. The chief priests and the scribes told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This ruler, this individual who was going to be king over the Jewish people is this baby Jesus who was just born. The prophecy had meant that it would happen in Bethlehem. And through the ordinance, through the announcement, through the requirement of Caesar Augustus, head of the Roman Empire, that came about in the days when Mary was to deliver the baby that had come from the Holy Spirit. So when you read this, right, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. So he got his answer from the chief priests and the scribes. King's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he calls the wise men, and this is not as open as the previous interactions. This is secretly. And determine, ascertain from them when the star had appeared. How long ago did you see the star? Why he's asking this will turn out to be very important because he is going to try to kill the king of the Jews that have been born. And if the star had been five years ago and it's taken him this long to get here, then he's trying to calculate how many people and of what age am I going to need to kill. He ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Herod lies to them. Herod indicates, when you find the child, let me know. Because I want to come and worship him too. We know he's lying because he ends up ordering the deaths of all children in Bethlehem who were two years of age and younger. Now, I don't know how long it had been since the star had appeared. You know, if it had been four years before they got there, he likely wouldn't have killed children two years and younger. Maybe it was six months, a year. The two years is to make sure I get it, right? To make sure I get it. Bethlehem was a fairly small village. Uh, it wasn't a huge town the way Jerusalem was. And while certainly tragic, certainly a horrific thing that Herod does, it's not as if this would have made the, the Israel nightly news, so to speak. We're not talking about thousands of children being put to death in Bethlehem. It was not that big a place. But he kills any child. He orders that there would be a death after the wise men don't come back. He orders the death of any ch children who were two years of age and younger. The wise men turn out, in fact, to be very wise. They don't fall for it. We've always got to remember that sometimes people lie. They don't tell us things that are true. And the important aspect here is not what Herod's telling the wise men, it's what the star told the wise men. 
Look at the reaction so far of these three groups of people. We've had three groups of people that we've, we've talked about. Herod. How does Herod respond to the news that the king of the Jews has been born? Essentially with hatred and hostility. Herod was desperate to hold on to his position. He ended up killing most of his family because he was afraid they were going to try to take over. He was afraid that this little child who had just been born was going to interfere with his life, with his place, with his influence, with his power. And his first instinct turns out to be to destroy him. You know, there are still those who would gladly destroy Jesus or the efforts of his people here on the earth because they see in him and they see in the call to change your life an effort to interfere with how they want to live. Much of the reaction that uh, in our culture I think I see coming from a response of you can't tell me what to do. If I want to do this, who are you to say no? Well, I'm nobody. You are nobody. But when we call people to live as God wants them to live, that will interfere with the way they want to live. And so the response of Herod is still occurring to people when they meet Jesus for the call to change today. Look at the reaction of the chief priests and scribes. They essentially have complete indifference. They quote the passage from the Old Testament, the prophecy about where Jesus was going to be born, but it doesn't make the slightest difference to them. In Bethlehem of Judea, you know, I, I recall having studied that under this rabbi, it's over here in Bethlehem, that's where the Messiah was to be born. They don't show any interest in the star that led the wise men there. They don't show any interest because none is recorded in checking out what the wise men find. They are simply so trapped and engrossed in the rituals that they had of worshiping God in the temple that they completely disregard Jesus. He didn't mean anything to them. Now, what does that say to some of us today? Well, we cannot allow ourselves to be so interested in our own affairs, even religiously, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this because we have to clean the communion plates or we have to do this. Our services are about to start. You know, we like to think that there's nothing today that might be of more interest to us than telling people and helping people, telling people about Jesus. There are still those. They're still out there that will have the same reaction to Jesus that these chief priests and scribes did. And that's not a good thing either. Look at the reaction of the wise men. These were seekers. That was a popular word a few years ago. People were seekers, looking to adore and worship, to lay at the feet of Jesus the best gifts they could bring. Surely, surely. When anyone realizes the love of God in Jesus, when they see the love of God in Jesus, when they see the love of God in those in whom Jesus lives, as you would think, then they too should become lost in love and wonder and praise. It all started with the birth of this baby in Bethlehem a number of years ago. 
Look at the statement in the next few verses again about the star. I'm emphasizing that because I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it in the news. It's hard to imagine how this was a star light years away or planets or comets that are millions of miles away could somehow be hovering over a small little town. As you say, the, the sky moves. If you stay outside long enough, right? The, the sun moves, the stars move. The birth was a miracle. This almost certainly was a miracle too. So let's just leave it at that. Leave it at that. Now, they find the house because the star was hovering over the place where Jesus was. Notice what it says. Going into the house. Okay, going into the house. I thought Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Well, remember that here in just a minute. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Gold is pretty obvious. Most everybody likes gold. It's that shiny, yellowy-looking stuff, right? Gold. We all know what gold is, but what about frankincense and myrrh? Well, frankincense is a hardened resin, hardened resin from a tree comes from the tree trunk. People used it as oil on the skin and in aromatherapy. Apparently that was a thing even 2,000 years ago. So it's commonly used as a fragrance in soaps, lotions, and perfumes. A hardened, you know, resin, right, that's dried up, sapped from a tree that could still bring wonderful smells. Wonderful smells. Very rare. Hard to get. Hard to get. And so gold and then frankincense wonderful uh, aromatic resin given as gifts to a king. Myrrh. They also give myrrh. I always have trouble spelling that. I want to put two H's instead of two R's. So I'm shocked that it wasn't misspelled there. It's also a gum resin extracted from small thorny trees. That might make it rare by itself. Digging in, grabbing around in thorny trees. It's been used as a perfume and medicine, and so if it was mixed with wine, which was common across a lot of cultures, was used for pleasure and as an analgesic for pain relief. And so things that were hard to find. If you've got enough money, you can get gold, absolutely. But in a poor world, which is where Jesus was born, gold would have been very difficult to acquire. Frankincense and myrrh, again, very difficult to acquire. There weren't a lot of nice-smelling things around in the world of the first century. There weren't a lot of nice-smelling people around. doesn't matter because the baby born there is born to be the king not only of the Jews, but the king of the entire world. And the wise men leave, uh, led to him by the star, leave behind gifts suitable for a king. Now back to this going into the house as a side note. By the time the wise men get to Bethlehem, Jesus and his family are no longer staying over in the barn or the stable with the animals. When the shepherds come, Jesus is in a manger, and Joseph and Mary were, were told or that night he's born or with some animals. By the time the wise men get there, Days, maybe weeks later, I don't know. But there's been enough time for them to find some suitable housing. So even though I love, I, I've played the, the, the wise men, man and the, the nativity scene that we've done, 
it's a it's a in some ways a false image because almost certainly the wise men, the shepherds, and the baby in the manger are not all together at the same time. Otherwise, the text would say going into the stable, going into the barn, going in where the animals were, they find the baby Jesus. It doesn't hurt anything. People expect, you know, all the TV shows talking about the baby, the baby Jesus, the little drummer boy, I think he even shows it, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. You're focusing on the birth of Jesus. Some of those details are okay if they're slightly off, but the Bible is very specific in saying here that the wise men go into the house. So the real way it happened, Jesus is born out in the, the stable, out where the animals are. And he's laid in a manger. I'm sure there's straw everywhere as well as the animals. The shepherds come in a, a short And the shepherds almost certainly are seeing Jesus out there among the animals. The wise men had seen the star. How long did, before they got there, right? If they saw the star saying, birth has happened. It could have taken them weeks or months, I don't know, to get to where Jerusalem was. They then talk to Herod, and then they go down to Bethlehem, and they're in a house by the time the wise men get there. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they, the wise men, departed to uh, their own country by another way. God warns the wise men not to avoid Herod, not to trust Herod. Remember Herod said, Tell me where you find him, because I too want to come and worship this individual baby born king of the Jews. He's a liar. Because all he seems to want to do is to kill the babies who might have been born king of the Jews. So the wise men brought gifts to the newborn Jesus. Right? That's what we remember about the wise men. What do you and I have that we would bring to him? Have any myrrh lying around? <laughs> uh, I didn't smell any when I was going around the auditorium. I'm not even sure really what it smells like, but you know, gold, silver, and myrrh, no. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, no. We don't have the same gifts. What can we give to Jesus? What can we give? Well, for that I want to go over for just the last couple of minutes to <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. I want to look at what we can give to God. God doesn't need our gold. He doesn't really need our money either. Now, I know I'm saying that before the contribution is happening. But the contribution is not to give to God. It's to give to help God's work here on the earth. It's to help people through benevolence, people who need our help. And it's to teach people in here and out there. That's why we give. So what could you give to God? You don't give. God doesn't have a bank account. You can't give money to God. That's the pot. It doesn't go to God. What can you give to God? Well, look at this passage here in 2 Corinthians 8 with me. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, switching gears, as I say here, to some years after the birth of Jesus, the Apostle Paul is telling 
the Christians in Corinth down in the southern part of Greece about their brothers and sisters in Macedonia up in the northern part of Greece about the generosity that they were showing. People who, even though they were poor, and the word here describes somebody who is so poor, they just have nothing at all. Nothing at all. But notice, look back to the verses there in 2 Corinthians 8. In a test of their affliction, a test when they were really having trouble, their abundance of joy ended up as well accompanied by their extreme poverty. How can you have an abundance of joy in extreme poverty? That doesn't seem to go together, does it? But these people in the churches of Macedonia had an abundance of joy and extreme poverty at the same time. I think they're showing a great deal of maturity that I know I need. Because joy doesn't come from having a lot of things. Joy comes from being able to help people. And this collection I'm talking about here is to help Christians in a completely different part of the world. Paul's going to try to convince the Corinthians to also help because the churches in Macedonia have already done that. Read with me. For they, the churches in Macedonia, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. More than they could possibly have been expected to give. More than is even reasonable. We already read they had extreme poverty, but they gave not only according to their means, but beyond their means. Begging us earnestly, intensely, for the favor taking part in the relief of the saints. It's as if they're saying to Paul, you know, look, I know we don't have much, but please let us help. We will find a way to help. They gave as they could. That's always the important thing. Jesus tells the story that happened to Jesus of where these rich people came in. It's as if they had giant Santa Claus bags of gold, and they just emptied it in the treasury. Listen to all my coins falling out of my big bag as I shuffle it into the treasury. And then you had one old widow lady who came in and gave the only coin she had. The key is giving. It's not so much how much, but giving. That's really not even my main point in 2 Corinthians 8. Begging Paul for the opportunity to help, but look at the important last section last section here. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Before they gave money, they gave themselves to God. What do you and I have that we can give to Jesus today? Jesus doesn't need our money, although we're going to take up a collection. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need frankincense and myrrh. What Jesus wants is the one thing we really can give, which is ourselves. The people in Macedonia here in these northern Greece churches had it right. They gave money, but before they did anything, they gave themselves to God. And I want to beg you here this morning 
if your life is not given to God, if it is not something that God already has, the gift God wants is you. He wants you to live, to leave the life you've been living, to change it from wrong to right, and to become a member of his family. If you're a member of his family, but you've been living the way you want to live, much more than you should, he wants you to come back. In terms of giving gifts, the only gift that matters this morning is much like these people in Macedonia. Please, please, as we stand and sing, let's give ourselves to 